My sister Donna sent me the following a few months ago via email. It was one of those emails that goes all over cyberspace. You know, the forwards, <laughs> forward, forward, forward. She knows I don't like to receive those, so I have told her, if you send me one, it had better be good. This one was. Reads as follows. A few years after I was born, my dad met a stranger who was new to our small town. From the beginning, dad was fascinated with this enchanting newcomer, and he soon invited him to live with our family. The stranger was quickly accepted and was around from then on. As I grew up, I never questioned his place in my family. In my young mind, he had a special niche. My parents were complimentary instructors. My mom taught me good from evil, and my dad taught me to obey. But the stranger, he was our storyteller. He would keep us spellbound for hours on end with adventures, mysteries, and comedies. If I wanted to know anything about politics, history, or science, he always knew the answers about the past, understood the present, and even seemed to be able to predict the future. He took my family to our very first Major League Baseball game. He made me laugh, and he made me cry. He also never stopped talking, but my dad didn't seem to mind. Sometimes mom would get up quietly while the rest of us were shushing each other so that we could listen to what the stranger had to say, and she would go into the kitchen for some peace and quiet. I wonder now if she ever prayed for him to leave. Dad ruled our household with certain moral convictions, but the stranger never felt obligated to honor them. Profanity, for example, was not allowed in our home, not from us or from our friends or from any visitors. The stranger, however, got away with saying four-letter words that burned my ears. They made my dad squirm and my mother blush. My dad didn't permit the liberal use of alcohol. However, the stranger encouraged us to try it on a regular basis. He made cigarettes look cool cigars manly, and pipes distinguished. He talked freely, much too freely, about sex. His comments were sometimes blatant, sometimes suggestive, and generally embarrassing. I now know that my early concepts about relationships were influenced strongly by the stranger. Time after time, he opposed the values of my parents, Yet he was seldom ever rebuked, and he was never asked to leave. More than 50 years have passed since the stranger moved in with our family. He has now blended right in, and is not nearly as fascinating as he was at first. Still, if you walk into my parents' den today, you will find him sitting in his corner, waiting for someone to listen to him talk and watch him draw his pictures. What's his name, you ask? We just call him television. I should also mention that he has a younger sister who moved in a couple of years ago.
Her name is Computer. That was a good one. Donna did a good job sending me that. There are some families out there who do not own a TV set, but they are few and far between. Still fewer nowadays lack computers. That means for the rest of us, for the majority, this is reality. That little story, which is why it was so good, conveys to us reality. We've invited a couple of strangers into our homes. Strangers who have brought us, yes, a great deal of enjoyment, but who at the very same time have brought poison into our lives. Spiritual poison. Relational poison. The antidote, of course, to all of this is the truth. The truth of God's Word. The antidote to the poison of the world that comes to us through the television set and through the internet and through other such vehicles. The antidote is the truth of God's Holy Word, especially that portion of the Word that we find in sacred scripture. And we all need to take the antidotes every day in some form because we are all exposed to this poison every day. And that's true even if we don't own a television set or a computer because we encounter people who do and they're influenced by that poison and they pass it on to us. So I ask you this morning, do you? Do you make a conscious effort to take in God's antidote each and every day. Many Christians don't. To their own peril, they don't. In today's responsorial psalm, Psalm 19, that John sang so beautifully a few moments ago, we hear these words. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The command of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eye. According to that text, the truth of God's word brings joy and it brings enlightenment. That is to say, it counteracts the poison of despair and confusion that come to us, how? Through the television and the computer and other such places. I mean, you want to get thrown into despair, just watch one of those 24-hour news channels for three or four hours, right? It isn't good news, generally speaking, that you hear about. And confusion, <laughs> that's a lot easier to find. Watch The View for a few days. That'll mess with your head, big time. So this is the stuff that's out there. But God's word counteracts it. If we allow it to, it brings us joy. It brings us enlightenment. We see this verified for us in today's first reading from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, a book of the Old Testament. There Ezra, the scribe, 
reads the Old Testament scriptures to the people and comments on those scriptures. He does this for the Jews assembled before him who had just come back from exile. You talk about being in despair. They were very close to despair when this scene took place. And we're told that he did this, that he proclaimed the scriptures to them from daybreak until midday. So please do not complain that I'm too long. I mean, this went on for several hours. When he finally stopped, we are told, and here I quote, all the people went to eat and drink, to distribute portions, and to celebrate with great joy, for they understood the words that had been expounded. You see, hearing and internalizing the message of God's word brought those Jews joy and enlightenment, just like it says in today's responsorial psalm. That's the power of God's word. The holy word of God also has the power to keep us from buying into the lies that are currently destroying our culture and our families. Big time, they are destroying our families. But this is another blessing God's Word brings to us. Television and computer, for example, tell us the lie all the time that some human beings are not worthy of life. Just turn on your television set. You'll hear that lie time and time again. And not just on the, the talking channels. In situation comedies, you know, the people who make these shows are very clever. They have an agenda. Don't let them tell you they don't. And usually it's an anti-life agenda. They convey that idea to us. Some are not worthy of life. Some should not be protected by our laws. That's a lie. So what's the antidote to that lie? The truth of God's Word. The truth that we find enshrined in passages like today's second reading. That beautiful text from 1 Corinthians 12. St. Paul tells us there that we are all members of Christ's body. All means everybody. Everybody means everybody. You know, nobody is an exception. From the moment of conception until the moment of natural death. Thus, as he says there, no part of the body can say to any other part, I don't need you, you're not important, you're not worthy of life. You don't deserve the protection of our laws. This includes even those parts of the body that are old and terminally ill or still in the wombs of their mothers. We need to hear this definitely today because unfortunately tomorrow once again we commemorate the sad anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision. So the Word of God brings joy, it brings enlightenment, it helps us to see through the lies of the world. And what's the message of the second half of today's gospel, this text from Luke 4? Very simply put, the message is, Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the anointed one of God, who is to be the ultimate moral and spiritual authority in our lives. That, of course, is not the message we generally get from those two strangers, television and computer. Unless you happen to have EWTN turned on. Or, be, or unless you're surfing their website or on my blog or some other such site. 
In most other locations, on the television dial and in cyberspace, we encounter the voices of other messiahs, other self-proclaimed authorities, who frequently tell us that their way is better than Jesus' way. So we should listen to them and follow them and not Jesus. My simple prayer this morning is that somehow, in some way, I have made it crystal clear to you that reading the Bible daily is important. Because it is. And you know what? If I haven't convinced you to do this, then for you, this homily has been a total failure. And I apologize. I will try to be more convincing next time. Some of you might not be in the habit of reading scripture. If that's the case, and if you intend to start, and I hope you do, I would say, start small. Don't overwhelm yourselves. Read it for just five minutes a day. And start with the New Testament, because the books of the New Testament are more familiar to us, and relatively speaking, they're easier to understand. Now, if you're going to do it, you also need to take your Bible off the shelf where it's collecting dust, or the coffee table where it's collecting dust. And you need to put it in a location where you will have easy access to it. Put it next to your bed. You know, that's how I started reading scripture. It was after my father died. I knew there was stuff in there that would help me to deal with the pain of my father's death. So I took my Bible, dusted it off, and I put it on the stand next to my bed. I knew I'd have to go buy it in order to get under the covers every night. And I would read it. Not a lot. In fact, chapters of the Bible are divided now into sections. I'd read just a section every night, or almost every night. And it made a difference. Stuff began to make sense. My perspective on things began to change. That's why I'm so adamant about this. I know how it affected my life. Put the scriptures someplace where you will have access to them. Wherever you do a lot of your reading. For some of you I know that might be in the bathroom. Right? Might be the only place in your house where you can find peace and quiet. Well, you know what? If that's where it has to be, that's where it has to be. God doesn't mind. He's everywhere. So put it in your bathroom. Just make sure that you put it in a respectable location in your bathroom in between your reading sessions. But read it. Because please hear this. Those two strangers will probably not be leaving your house anytime soon. This is why it's so important. Very few of you today will go home after this Mass and throw your TVs and computers out the window. They're going to stay. And because they'll always be around, you won't be able to monitor them 100% of the time. And I don't care what kind of filters you got on your TV or on your computer. As we all know, even during sporting events like the Super Bowl, television can bring images into our living rooms that we don't want there. 
Thank you, Janet Jackson. <laughs> to counteract that kind of negative influence, we need to make a special place for God's Word in our homes and in our own personal lives. Or to put it another way, to keep from being influenced by the two strangers, we need to make the Word of God our treasured friend. It really is as simple as that.